0: The Household of Epaphroditus. As we begin the series of thoughts a couple nights ago, I reminded you that the very first title that Paul bestowed upon this man was simply this, he called him my brother. And I said that was an amazing title when you consider who these two men were and where they came from. Paul was an ultra-Orthodox Jew Raised at the feet of Gamaliel, he would have been a very well-educated, upper-crust, white-collar, Jewish political figure. But Epaphroditus would have literally been the polar opposite. Not a Jew, he was a Gentile. He wouldn't have been a white-collar worker, probably a a blue-collar worker. And he, he literally was a pagan in the eyes of the Jews. His name meant belonging to Aphrodite, a sensual pagan female goddess. Men like these for centuries had nothing to do with each other. They would have used each other as the butt of a joke at the dinner table. They would have gone ahead and sneered at each other, called each other enemies, adversaries, but they would have never called each other fellow brothers. Great barriers had been built up between them, even in their approach to God. But then one day someone came along and changed the whole formula. His name was the Lord Jesus Christ and the day that Epaphroditus trusted Christ as his Savior, and the day that the, uh, uh, Paul, who was formerly Saul, trusted Christ as his Savior, as they came up off their knees a new creature in Jesus Christ, suddenly each of them found that they had equal access to the God of this universe, not through a church, not through a baptism, not through some, you know, some man or some prophet or priest, but through the Lord Jesus Christ, they had equal access now to the God of this universe. And God said that in one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know tonight that is probably the most well-known verse in the Word of God next to the 23rd Psalm. But in it you see the heart of our God. He says, whosoever will may come. I want to say tonight I'm glad I'm a whosoever. I'm glad there came a day in my life when I read that John three sixteen I read it differently than I ever had before, for God so loved David, that God gave David his only begotten Son that if David would believe on him, David would not perish, but instead David would have everlasting and eternal life. Mm-hmm. You see that great, great truth does you no good till it becomes yours, but it's available to whosoever will. Amen. Mm-hmm. The first thing Jesus Christ brought was equal access to the God of this universe through the blood of Calvary and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But the second thing he did is he brought people that were polar opposites for centuries, people that had nothing to do for centuries. He bridged that gap, and now where they had nothing in common, they became fellow brothers and fellow sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 1. I'll give you that verse and then just review the second thought. In 1 John, near the end of your Bible is the book of 1 John. Listen to the heart of God here and the heart of those who are saved. In in 1 John, in chapter 1, James, 1, 2 Peter, 1 John. If you're in Revelation, you've gone too far. Come on back just a little bit, all right? If you're in Genesis, you haven't even gotten started. You need to go a lot further, all right? But First John, look at what's said in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, John says. Why? Why is John so big on declaring the truth about Jesus Christ? Why? That he also may have fellowship with us. He says, I want you to enter into a relationship with me. How does that happen? And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The first relationship, that individuals can enjoy with one another, is that of being a fellow brother or a fellow sister? We said that was a face-to-face relationship, enjoying fellowship because they have a common Savior now and a common salvation. But then we noted last night, as these men grew in their relationship. With the Lord Jesus Christ, they entered into a second level of relationship. And notice what's said in Philippians 2 and verse 25. He says, yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, number one, my brother. But then he added this, and companion in labor. Here they weren't operating simply as fellow brothers, enjoying fellowship, speaking to each other of the Lord, and enjoying being in the household of faith. But now they'd entered a second level of relationship They were not just fellow brothers, they were fellow laborers. And boy, we saw last night very clearly this was a side-by-side relationship, in the harness together, serving the Lord as fellow laborers. And I said last night, you and I were reminded that we were saved to serve. Go to Galatians 5 just with me, and then we'll move into the thought tonight. In Galatians chapter 5, I just took the time to review. We have some visitors. I just want to bring you up to speed here. In Galatians chapter 5, look at what's said here in verse number 13. Just a few pages earlier from Philippians is the book of Galatians. And notice in Galatians 5 and verse 13, the Bible says this, For brethren, he's talking to people that are saved. They've been born again. They've trusted Christ as Savior. For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. You know, the day you and I were saved, we were set free from sin. Amen? Amen. Isn't that a blessing? We were set free from self. Because frankly, until we got saved, our God probably was self. That's who we lived for, was the God of moi, self. But the day we got saved, we got set free from that selfish nature, selfish sin life that we had, fulfilling our sin and lust. We were set free, but he didn't set us free to go sin. He set us free so we could go serve one another. Amen? And I'm going to just say it tonight. If you're here tonight and you're saved, you've been born again. He didn't save you so you can sin. He didn't save you so you should sin. He saved you so you could serve. You could serve others besides self. Amen? And so we saw that second relationship was a laboring relationship side by side. But go back to our text and let me move into the thought tonight. For in Philippians 2, or Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, we see the third and final relationship these two men enjoyed. Notice what he says in verse 25. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and companion in labor. Now watch this. And... Say that next word with me, fellow soldier. Say it again, fellow soldier. Wow. Here, Paul notes the highest level of relationship he enjoyed with this man, and it was that of a fellow soldier. Could I say tonight that in noting this relationship, (laughs) the Spirit of God through Paul reminds us that the Christian walk includes warfare. Amen? The Christian walk includes warfare. You say, why are you even pausing to say that? Because here's the American Christian today. The American Christian has this idea. Well, it's just all about me. It's all about a robe of righteousness. It's all about my sins being forgiven. Oh, praise the Lord. He gave me heaven. And it's just isn't it wonderful to be a Christian? And I mean, that's the American mentality today. Is Jesus saved me so I can have fun? No, he didn't. The Christian warfare, the Christian walk includes warfare. It's a spiritual battle. Could I get an amen? amen. Oh, yeah, some of you know the battle. Listen, if you, and I, if you and I aren't careful, we'll get the idea that there's not a spiritual warfare going on, and we're going to become fragged in the casualty if we're not careful. All through your Bible you find references in the New Testament about the battle. You got a pen? You might want to write a few down. 1 Peter 2.11. Listen to what you and I are commanded as believers. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Yeah. Sounds like a battle to me. Mm-hmm. Amen? He says in 1 Timothy 6, 12, the young Timothy, a preacher boy, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. That sounds like a battle to me. Could I get an amen? Yeah. Yeah. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Put on the whole armor of God. What would you need armor for? Ain't for having fun. That's for a battle. Amen? Sounds like a battle to me. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy 2. Verse 3 and 4 Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Sounds like a battle to me. And then Paul, he looks back on his entire Christian walk and listen to what he says in 2 Timothy 4 7. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. References like these and many others tell us as Christians this isn't just about privilege and redemption, it's also about a battle. It's about spiritual warfare. And you need to recognize that tonight. The day you got saved, you didn't just inherit the friends of God. You inherited his enemies as well. Mm. And our warfare is a very unique one, Christian. It's a three-front war. It's not a two-front. You know your history. No nation's ever successfully fought a two-front war. Napoleon caved on a two-front war. Hitler lost when he opened up Barbarossa in World War II against Russia. That's not the war you win. But we have a three-front war. What is the? What are the three fronts? Somebody, what's one? One of our enemies is The the flesh, your old sin nature, the lust of the flesh. That's what drives you to go to the internet sites, guys, and look at stuff you're not supposed to, the old sin nature, the flesh. And we saw Ephesians 2 on Sunday morning, Sunday night. Now that you're saved, you can go ahead and get a thrill out of the world through your flesh, or now you can hear the voice of God and feed your quickened spirit, your choice, your call. The Bible tells us to mortify, mm-hmm. kill off the deeds of the flesh. Unfortunately, most Christians in America just keep feeding it. Mm. And then they wonder why they're feeling not like a victor, not like a conqueror in Jesus Christ like they're supposed to be. It's because they're operating in the flesh, not the quickened spirit now that they've been born again. Right. Oh, the flesh is the hardest one. That's the worst enemy. That's the one that sits in your campfire with you 24-7. Amen? Y'all with me? That's, that's the enemy, big one. But there's two more that join your flesh. What's another one? Brother Jim, you can't count. Preacher, you can't count. Neither you count. What was that? The world. The world. This whole world system is contrary to the heavenly system. What is this world system? Could I just give it to you in a nutshell? Buying things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't even care about. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you're paying like you're paying interest on your credit card right there. Amen. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father. Oh, P.S., this world passeth away in the lust thereof. I've never seen a hearse pull in a U haul. You can't take it with you. Amen. I'm just telling you, this materialistic society that you could call it Hollywood. You could call it, they, they don't even know what happiness and joy is in Hollywood. Y'all, that's just a big smoke screen. That's all it is. But it's that world system of wealth and materialism and that a gotta have stuff. You with me? Mm-hmm. Remember, that which is eternal is invisible, Scripture says. Amen? Yeah. Amen? That heaven is invisible right now. You can't see that other than through the Word of God. There's your eyes of faith. But that's an invisible place. But that's more real than here. For the world passeth away in the lust thereof. Right. But that world, that kingdom, is going to be forever. Yeah. See, the world's the dream. That's the reality. Most people in America treat heaven as the dream, and this is the reality. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely opposite. So your old sin nature, your flesh, the world, number two. And number three? What's the third enemy? the devil. And don't you tell me he doesn't exist. One of the earliest things that happened in my Christianity was demons and some of the guys that were in the barracks next to me and some of that stuff I had to deal with. And I'll tell you, make your hair go straight up on end. The powers of darkness are real. They cannot make you do a thing. If you're not saved, they can possess you. If you are saved, they can't possess you, but they can oppress you. Mm -hmm. There's a huge difference. If we could have our eyes open to that invisible world, you'll find a battle taking place all the time. The Bible says the devil is the God of this world, and he blinds minds and hearts. I will guarantee you tonight, if you're not saved, your sins are unforgiven, Jesus Christ is not your Savior, the devil is going to do everything he can do to shudder the truth that Jesus saves. He's going to get you busy chasing everything in this world, getting all worried about stuff that doesn't matter, and then you die and go to hell. Now, that matters. He's been given reign of this atmosphere. He's on a short leash. One day he'll go to the bottomless pit. But he is the God of this world. And unless you get saved, you can't say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's a good reason to get saved. You can't be manipulated by the devil. Yeah, I'm just telling you the truth. You say, well, where are you getting all that from? The book called the Bible? Well, I never heard that before. Yeah, if you'd read it, you'd find that out. you all suck, stuck up in Harlequin romances and Hollywood and garbage and who knows what, a bunch of junk that isn't even real, written by people that are going to the place you don't want to go. Amen? Get in the book. The book will tell you how to make peace with God. The book will tell you how to have a happy marriage. The book will tell you how to have a joyful life. The book will tell you where you're going when you die. After you trust Christ as Savior, and it won't be hell and the lake of fire, it'll be a place called heaven. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of of God. Romans 10, 17. So we have three enemies according to the word of God. We don't really see them until we get in the word of God, and then it... makes that which is invisible come visible. The breath of God makes us see that mist, and it becomes truth. But the point I make is this. We get saved, Christians. We're thrust into a battle by identification with the king. We put his uniform on, and now we inherit three enemies that up until salvation, really, we thought were great friends. Amen? Amen? And now they're against us, not for us. It becomes a three-front war. Brother Michael, Brother Michael, come up here. I blew Connor out of the water. He ain't never come back (laughs) two nights ago. Your tennies are tied. That's good, son. (laughs) Amen. I've been using somebody to visualize these truths. Fellow brothers, what are we? We enjoy fellowship. The day we get saved, we enter into a face to face relationship. We got something to talk about in spite of the generation gap, in spite of our backgrounds and differences and personality differences. Suddenly, because you're saved and I'm saved, we've got a mutual salvation. We've got a common salvation. We're singing the same song. We're Amen. sinners by save by grace. Amen. Amen. We got the same savior, his name's Jesus Christ. We're going to the same heaven to spend forever. Amen. Amen. All right, suddenly we had nothing in common. Now in Jesus Christ, we become fellow brothers. We enjoy fellowship. It's a face-to-face relationship, but as we grow, we move into another relationship. We become fellow laborers. We harness together together to serve the Lord. And let me say this, more can be done collectively amongst God's people through a local church than one individual that could be picked off out there, amen? Mm -hmm. And so there's strength in numbers, and we begin to plow ground and pool our talents and abilities to lift up the name of our God, amen, and to make an impact with his kingdom into this kingdom of darkness. But you know what? Fellow soldiers have a very unique relationship. They're not simply face-to-face. They're not simply side-by-side. Turn and look that way. Fellow soldiers go back to back. Don't move, brother. What does this represent? I can't see him. He can't see me. We're in a three-front war. It's very desperate. Our plates are full. I'm trying to get victory over my personal sin life. I'm trying to get the courage to go tell someone how to be saved and not be meek about that. You all with me? I'm trying to go ahead and shut down my spirit of anger when the wife says something silly and they always do. You know what I mean? Just, I'm, trying to, I'm dealing with my old nature that, that used to just fly off the handle and frag stuff, and, and now it's, no, 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 no. That's not how God wants me to act. You with me? My plate's full. The devil's trying to tip me, running carrots past me. Y'all with me? My plate's full. I don't have time to look around. I need someone to guard me, and this literally, literally picture's complete. Trust and reliance. We go back to back. If he fails, I'm in trouble. If I fail and betray him, he's in trouble. We're counting on each other at the heat of the, heat of the battle. Amen. Amen. Amen? The picture is this. Complete trust. Complete, complete reliance. We don't have time to check up on each other. We're trusting the other person is holding their position and doing right. Mm-hmm. Amen? Amen? Mm-hmm. All right, go ahead, sit down, brother. You'll be back up here later, okay? Now, this, this fellow soldiers, I want to, that picture is a big picture because let me just say this: that picture is a picture of a married couple right there as well. Husbands and wives have to learn to go back to back and trust each other. Amen. Amen? Uh, church members have to go back to back and trust each other with their pastor and with one another. Y'all with me? It's a trust, and re- it's a complete trust and reliance picture, that back to back. And it pictures that. This is what David desired with Saul. Amen? Remember David? Only a boy named David. Remember that, how he killed Goliath? This was the relationship David thought he had with his king, with Saul. And yet after he had slain Goliath, the seeds of en- envy get sown in the heart of his king. Look at with me in 1 Samuel chapter 18. I want to show you the illustration of a betrayal here. People that should have been back to back and what took place. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, way at the beginning of your Bible, it's a story of David and Goliath, how he kills uh, Goliath. He delivers the, the people of God the uh, into the, the phil- from the hand of the Philistines. He brings an incredible victory. God brings a victory through David. Look at what's said in First Samuel chapter 18, in verse number six. Following this incredible victory, the seeds of envy get sown in the heart of David's king, someone he thought he was back to back with. Look at what he says in verse six of First Samuel 18. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, with instruments of music, and rightly so. It's a victory parade. And Notice their song, though, in verse 7. The women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands. They, look up for you. Saul loved that first verse of this song. Saul has slain his thousands. Oh, yeah, I like that song. Keep singing it. He didn't like the second verse. The second verse was this, and David his ten thousands. Look at the heart of Saul in verse 8. Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And look at this, and Saul eyed David from that day And forward. Oh, to this incredible victory, the entire camp of Israel is rejoicing. In the midst of that celebration, the seeds of envy get sown in the heart of the king. And then just shortly thereafter, the cruel messenger of betrayal gets dispatched. Look in chapter 19, just a few verses later. In 1 Samuel 19, look at what's said in verse number 1. The Bible says this, And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants. And what is the king's command? That they should kill David. Ah. Kill who? A Philistine? No, David. Kill who? An enemy of God? No, the, 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 the sweet psalmist of God's. THE ONE WHO DELIVERED KING, THE KING HIMSELF FROM DEATH AND SHAME, DELIVERED THE CAMP OF ISRAEL, DAVID. THE KING'S COMMAND, KILL DAVID. LOOK AT THE HEART OF DAVID. LOOK IN PSALM 55, THE VERY MIDDLE OF YOUR BIBLE, BREAKS RIGHT open TO THE BOOK OF PSALMS. AND LOOK AT THE CRY OF DAVID'S HEART WHEN HE REALIZES WHAT HAS JUST TAKEN PLACE, SOMEONE HE THOUGHT HE WAS BACK TO BACK WITH, SOMEONE HE THOUGHT WAS ON THE SAME SIDE, suddenly turned against him. And look at the anguished cry from David in verse 12 of Psalm 55. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, David said. Then I could have borne it. I could have handled that. That's what enemies do. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. I could have seen that one coming. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide, mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. Can I just tell you, as a Marine Corps veteran, as a student of war, and a participant in the armed services (laughs) oh man, there is nothing more demoralizing than friendly fire. There is nothing more destructive. Than friendly fire. Y'all with me? It's the worst. The forces, armed forces, would call that blue on blue. There isn't just nothing worse than friendly fire. It's demoralizing, it's destructive. I think of a kid named Pat Tillman. How many of you know who Pat Tillman was? Pat Tillman was a multi million dollar contract NFL player for Arizona. And instead of signing that contract, he went ahead and turned down all that money and he donned a beret and he went off to defend his country. I'm telling you, he got the heart of our nation when he did that. And then the day came, the news broke, Pat was killed. I've actually run his memorial run 4.3 miles. His number was 43, and I've run the 4.3 mile memorial run that ends in Tempe, Arizona Stadium in honor of Pat Tillman. Man, the news broke, Pat had died, and the nation mourned. But Then the news came out how he died. Friendly fire, a cover-up. I'm going to tell you something. You read about the Tillman family? I've read it. I've researched it. They're bitter and angry and messed up people to this day. They have never gotten over that. It's messed them up royally. I'm going to say it again. Friendly fire is the most destructive and demoralizing thing you'll ever experience. Friendly fire is horrible, first of all, in a marriage. You with me? Mm -hmm. Where trust was the benchmark of that relationship till death do us part. I remember as I performed the wedding ceremony for my son, Stephen, last year. Stephen's in Alaska. He's a semi-truck driver. I remember in the midst of that ceremony, I said, from this day forward, Stephen... Before these witnesses, that's why people come to a wedding. You're supposed to be there to hold them to their vows. That's why you're there. You're not there for the party and the dance. You're there to hold them to their vows. Amen? Could I get an amen? That's why you go to a wedding. Among these witnesses, I'm here to tell you, when you start messing up, I'm going to tell you, here's what you promised. You made a vow. You keep it. Mm. Amen? Horizontally, vertically, God is a witness. And I said, Stephen, from this day forward, You are a one-woman man. You don't flirt with anybody else. You don't put your eyes on someone else. You don't get on the Internet sites and fulfill the lustful desires of someone else. You are a one-woman man from this day forward. And then I turned to little Amelia, my new daughter-in-law. I said, Amelia, we have just met recently, but I, officiating this ceremony, say to you today, You are, from this day forward, a one-man woman. And I know my son, and I'll be praying for you. (laughs) There's nothing more destructive and demoralizing than friendly fire in a marriage. There's nothing more destructive and demoralizing than friendly fire in a church. Could I get an amen? Been there. It shakes everything you believe to the core. You don't even know what's up or down. You say, how can saved people act like that? And there is nothing more demoralizing and destructive than friendly fire in a friendship. Could I just make a statement? Saul's inevitably visit every one of us. You all with me? You want a Saul-free life? You better pick a different mud ball. You aren't going to get through this earth without having people let you down betray you, and frankly, you probably haven't been through life without being the betrayer yourself and played the Saul. Amen? You'll never get through the human experience without having a Saul visit you. But let me say this. If you're saved, when that Saul visits, God's always faithful to send a Jonathan. Amen. Amen? When that Saul visits, God is always faithful to send to Jonathan because I want you to understand tonight that what David wanted in Saul and could never get, he found in Jonathan. Look with me. Go back to our text in 1 Samuel. Go back there and look at what he got in this individual named Jonathan. Notice what's said in 1 Samuel chapter 20. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, Look at this, Jonathan. This is Saul's son. This is the heir apparent. This is to be the next king by virtue of Saul having a son and an heir. Notice what's said in Psalm 20 in verse number 1. The Bible says, and David fled. What do you do when a Saul hunts you down? You flee. That's what you do. And David flees. He meets secretly with Jonathan. And look at what he says to Jonathan in verse 3 of First Samuel 20. And David swam over and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. And then look at this statement David makes. You ought to underline this, because he understands how tenuous his life is. He understands the power of the king. The king controls the narrative. The king controls the army. The king can turn the whole kingdom against David. With a stroke of a pen, he can take David's reputation and completely tame him, make an enemy, and make everybody in the kingdom go after him. David knows he's just a little flea with his giant Saul chasing him. Here's his statement. Jonathan, Jonathan, your dad, listen to this, the end of verse 3. But truly as the Lord liveth, Jonathan, and as thy soul liveth, there's but a step between me and death. Jonathan, if I, if I make the wrong move, your dad's got me. My life is just one step away from death. You ought to write in the margin of the Bible what I wrote. You want to hear something profound? This will get you. I wrote right next to that, and there was just one step between Jonathan and the whole kingdom. There was just one step between Jonathan and the entire kingdom. Saul knows it. Look at the end of this chapter. Look at chapter 20. Look at the very end. Saul, this this, this envious king who's hunting down David, he recognizes how his son Jonathan loves David. He's not gonna go ahead and, and, and buy into dad's lie. And look at what he says in verse 30 of 1 Samuel 20. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. Why? He reminds him, verse 31, Jonathan, for as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. You know what Saul said to Jonathan? I can just see him. He sees Jonathan's loyalty to David, and he takes David and he shakes him, and he says, son, would you snap out of it? Your loyalty to David is costing you the throne. Your loyalty to David is costing you the kingdom because, son, when I'm gone, this is all yours. Pause for a second and think about this. All that stood between Jonathan and the kingdom was this little boy named David. How easy it would have been for him to whisper to dad where David was holed up. And Saul would have descended and taken David out, and as David's life ended, he wouldn't have even known he got betrayed by his friend. <gasps> but Jonathan chose to die in ignominious death at the hand of the Philistines with his loser dad. He chose to die with his dad rather than betray a friend. He chose to turn the whole kingdom down and die a gruesome death rather than betray a friend. That is the finest example of a friend I find in Scripture next to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question. you all looking at me like, oh, what's your price? What would you sell your maid out for? What would you sell your pastor out for? What would you sell your friend out for? You all with me? I watch people sell out a lot more cheaply than what Jonathan could have had. Unbelievable. I want to say this. Every, every one of us needs some Jonathans. Amen? I say this. Every David needs a Jonathan, and every Christian needs some Jonathans. Every pastor needs a Jonathan and his men. And the men and the church members need a Jonathan in their pastor. Every husband needs a Jonathan in his wife. He doesn't have to worry about what she's saying about him and what she's doing when his back is turned. And every wife needs a Jonathan in her man. He doesn't have to worry about where he's going with his free time and what he's doing on the Internet. Every wife needs a Jonathan in her man. Jonathans are refreshing because Jonathans are character. Anybody can be a Saul. It takes great character to be a Jonathan. Amen? Amen. Could I get an amen there? I'm going to tell you, I am so sick of Saul's in this world. I'm so sick of being a Saul sometimes. I'm sick of this old nature that wants the praise and wants the recognition and wants to at the expense of someone else be thought of as good and always can't the story and make me look good instead of someone else. I'm sick of that spirit within me and without me because it's the Jonathan that's refreshing. It's the fellow soldier that gets your heart. Mm-hmm. Amen? And as we look at this thought tonight, I want to remind you As fellow soldiers, we're not fighting for a position tonight, amen? We're not fighting for personal gain. We're not fighting for power and control or the praise of men. That was Saul's downfall, self. That was Ananias and Sapphira's downfall in the local church, self. You said, no, they lied against the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. What caused them to lie against the Holy Spirit is there was competition in the church, they watched somebody get a whole bunch of praise for cashing in land, so they wanted to get the praise too. Everybody shouting, praise the Lord. Look what, look what they did. Look what they did. And they didn't want to pay the price, but they wanted the praise, so they cashed in the land, kept some of it, and then said they actually sold it all. Got competition in a local church. Pastor and I have been talking. Let me tell you something. Pride's a nasty thing. Amen? Overinflated opinion of who you really are. That's nasty. That produces all kinds of bad stuff. We're not in this thing for personal gain. We're not in this thing for the praise man. I don't care if you like my message or not. I'm just wanting to give you truth, amen? amen. I don't need to, he- I don't want to hear, oh, that was great. Ah, my God's greater than me, amen? The message came from him, not me. We're, as fellow soldiers, we are fighting for our king, and for His cause. Write this down. Two things. I'm almost done tonight. It's not a lengthy message. But I want you thinking about your marriage tonight. I want you thinking about the church family tonight. What is it that motivates us and his fellow soldiers? Are we really fellow soldiers? Two things fellow soldiers do. Number one, they stay committed to the cause. All right? Just write that down. Soldiers stay committed to the cause. And our cause is this, we do all to the glory of God. That's our cause tonight. Our cause isn't to elevate self, it's to elevate the Savior. Our cause isn't to get glory for us, it's to get glory for Him. Amen? We stay committed to that cause. We hold our position, we accomplish the mission. We're always concerned about the reputation of our King. Amen? Y'all with me? Amen? Let me tell you something. When I put the uniform on, I dress, uh, dress blues when I preach Sunday morning, Sunday night. I don't care how you slice this. I change my stature every time. I walk a little taller. I don't put my hands in my pockets. You with me? You don't do that when you're in uniform. You with me? I don't spit on the ground. When I was <laughs> in the Marine Corps, they made you pick it up and put it in your pocket. Hmm. <laughs> That'll break you from spitting. You know what I'm saying? The cover goes on as soon as I go outside. You never go outside uncovered. As soon as I come in, the cover comes off. It's one of the weird things about Marine Corps. We cannot salute inside because we must salute with a cover. The only way we can salute inside is if we're covered, and the only way we can be covered is if we're under arms. Then we can salute with a sword, the saber. It's just weird. But there's decorum. But as soon as I put that uniform on, whoa. I am aware I'm representing something way bigger than me, mm. and I don't want to dishonor the uniform. Let me tell you something: the day you got saved, you represented a king and a kingdom way bigger than you. Yes. And you should be concerned how you're representing him. That's good, brother. Amen. You should be concerned about what reputation others are yeah. getting and ideas they're getting about your king, Amen. because you're a child of this king. Amen. Amen. And you say, "Well, can I ever set that off?" No, no. You're his for all time and all eternity. Praise the Lord. You know, you get to represent him. And it shouldn't be, oh, do I have to represent? It should be, do I get to represent him? He's not a loser. He's a winner. Amen. He's the winner. Amen. Amen. We should always have this idea, how am I affecting the reputation of my king? The attitude I just had out here at the workplace, how is that rep- affecting the reputation of my king and the cause which is bringing him glory? Amen. We should always think about that. We stay committed to his cause. We do all the glory of God. But second of all, we stay faithful to our friends. There's the horizontal. We we stay committed to his cause. That's the vertical. That's the eternal. And then here in this life right now, we stay faithful to our friends. That's what fellow soldiers do. They don't cut and run. Amen. They stay faithful to their friends. They, they, They keep them covered. Why? Why do you keep each other covered? Local church, I could just ask that. Why do you keep each other covered? I'll tell you why. Because we need each other. Amen? Say, oh, I don't really need. Oh, yes, you do. I remember this time I was assistant pastor in a church up in Alaska, North Pole, Kingsway Baptist Church. And uh, there are some personalities that I find easier to get along with, whether they're lost or saved. And there are some that will kind of rub me the wrong way, and it takes more grace for me to have that enjoyable fellowship. But I'm just telling you, it's just who we are, okay? Can we be real? And we had a guy named Glenn. I won't give his last name. We called him Goofy Glenn. There was never a serious bone in Glenn's body. He loved to joke with everybody, and usually it was at their expense. And I remember I was down in the basement with all the men of the church. I was the assistant pastor, and Glenn got on a roll. And by the time Glenn got done, I was truly the butt of his joke. And here I am, I'm a young preacher boy. I'm doing the ministry for free. I'm an assistant pastor, unpaid, but I'm serving. And I mean, he has shamed me. He's embarrassed me. I don't appreciate it. He is, you, you ever been there where you just, you know what you'd like to do, you know, but you, you can't do that. And he loaded my wagon. That's pride. You know, there's nothing somebody can accuse you of that's worse than what God already knows about you. Could I just say that? Could I just say that? You know, I, what's that feel like when somebody says, I think you're a liar? How does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? Is it, oh, that's oh, that's fuzzy. I, no, we don't like that. You know, but listen, if, if you're walking with God and you're aware of your sinfulness, somebody calls you a liar, you know what your response should be? That's it? You don't just think I'm a little old liar? Woo-hoo-hoo. Did I get off easy if you only knew what I really was? It's a lot longer list than a little old liar. Amen. Yeah. yeah, amen. It's a whole nother message, but it makes you think. Yeah. Because, you know, truth be known, all we all are is dirty, rotten, wicked, and filthy sinners. Some of us are saved by grace. Boy, that's the rest of the story you want. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. But Glenn loaded my wagon, got my blue marquee station wagon. Deb was with me. I guess it was a church cleanup day or something. I don't know what it was. She got into the passenger side side of the vehicle, and I took off out of the church parking lot, heading to Fairbanks, about 20 minutes away. And I madder than the pistol. I've been embarrassed. At the expense of Glenn, I, oh, man, I'm mad. And so I began to preach a sermon. I remember yesterday. I said, did you see what Glenn did to me? You see what he said about me? And I'm driving along. And you know what I really hate? When I'm carnal and she's spiritual. I hate that. She wasn't saying a word. She wasn't preaching to me. I could see her little head was down, her hands were... I know what she's doing. She's praying for me. I can't stand that when she does that because I want her carnal right along with me. You know what I mean? It makes me feel better, you know? But she's just going spiritual, which makes me look worse. So I'm cruising along and it's like, Oh, this is not the... mm. And so I re-preach the message. I go all the way through. I said, maybe you aren't taking good notes. I'm going to give you the message one more time. You were there. You saw what he said. You saw what he did. And then I ended it both times with this phrase. As far as I'm concerned, I don't want him. I don't need him. We should get out of my life. That was my closing invitation point (laughs) to the sermon I was preaching to my wife. We were about... Oh, probably 10 minutes away. We were halfway there. Out in the middle of the brush, we called it No Man's Land. And I just made my second time through the sermon and made my second point finale, which is, I don't want him. I don't need him. We should get out of my life. And all of a sudden, I no sooner said that the second time than temperature gauge goes die high and the thing boils over, the car, red lights go on, engine shuts off, power steering. And I remember coming to a stop, putting in park. And, I said, and the first thing I said, don't you, even, don't you even think for a second this has anything to do with what I just said. Because she's almost got this little smile. I said, don't, nah, don't you even think it. says, pure circumstance and coincidence. And I'm sitting there, the middle of nowhere. Still spring break up. Man, steam's rolling out. I'm hung over the car steering wheel. Going, man, what am I gonna do? I don't even have to spare antifreeze. I got no spare water. I'm, I'm t- you know, I'm a number of miles from home. People hardly even come on this stupid road. So I'm letting it cool down, and I'm trying to cool down, but I'm just getting angrier. And then finally I remember saying, well, maybe I'll go find some snow, melt it, get it in there, you know, do something. I'm an old farm boy. so You got to work with what you had. It wasn't much. And I remember opening the doors and opening the door and stepped out. All of a sudden I heard this "Ah!" this vehicle stops behind me. And I remember, this is how spiritual I am. Oh, great. Some rubbernecker coming to say, hey man, what's going on? And just hanging over watching me. I mean, I'm you know, I'm just loading it. Y'all with me? See, some of you are thinking, "With well, this little chess game, you would." That's exactly what you would think. I'm thinking that's all I need is an audience in my misery to come here and watch me. And I turn to look, and out of that vehicle jumps Glenn Wagner. Oh, I just said his whole name, man. I didn't mean to do that, brother Glenn. Brother Glenn. And uh, Glenn was the church mechanic. He traveled with his tools everywhere he went. If he ever had an automobile problem, he'd fix it for free. He had everything. You know what I'm saying? And I never forget, Brother Dustin, This is it. the door opens. Brother, I'm standing there. I look, and here comes Brother. Hey! He always walked with Tigger Springs. He was non-military. Hey, Brother Dave! He walked like that. Like he said, Tigger Springs, you know? He, you need any help? He had that high-pitched voice. Now, here I am. I'm framed in the door of my vehicle. What do you think I said to him? I just finished the sermon. As far as I'm concerned, I don't want him. I don't need him. We say, get out of my life. Push. Oh, man. Hey, Brother Dave. Now, what do you think I said? Framed in the door. I turned to him and said, hey, as far as I'm concerned, I don't want you. I don't need you. We should get out of my. No, no. I got this big smile. I said, Well, hi, Brother Glenn. Good to see you. My wife is sitting here with her arms crossed looking at me through that door, and I know what she's thinking. You filthy hypocrite. (laughs) I swear that is exactly how it went down. I told this story. I got the vehicle color wrong. What was it, honey? It was a what? A white van. I was called it a pickup truck. It was a white van. And as soon as she said that, I said, that's right, Glenn's white van. (sighs) Ah. You know, I'm just going to tell you, when you look at who we are, a lot of times we're just a sorry lot. You know, we're under construction. We haven't arrived. And sometimes we get the idea that we just don't need each other as God's people in the house of God. But I'm going to tell you something. When you get that way, when you get independent, that independent, I don't care. You can get there, by the way. You can buy your way there in your mind. You can get your, you build your way there. I'm going to tell you, all you've done as a child of God, belonging to a good local church, you know what you've done? You just ask God to pick a radiator to pop just to remind you you still need one another. Amen? And some of them radiators are medical. Some of those radiators are financial. Some of those radiators are kids that go astray. Y'all with me? You with me? I'm going to tell you something. Five of my six kids are chasing God. One is not. There's a silver lining in that. It keeps me humble. And it makes me realize I don't have all the answers. Y'all with me? There's one great lesson in a loss is it keeps you humble. We still need each other, amen? And so much more as you see the day approaching, you don't forsake the sum of yourselves together. You go ahead and learn to encourage one another. See, fellow soldiers know that. Oh, you may be sitting pretty now, but man, you could have the, uh, the, the howitzers landing around you and just like that, everything changes and all of a sudden you need each other. Amen. Yeah. They stay committed to the cause, but they stay faithful to their friends, because we need one another. People have asked me, why do we have that need as brothers and sisters in the Lord to operate as soldiers? Why, why, why are we such needy people? And it's, the answer is this: because we all have a weak and vulnerable area. Could I just tell you this? It's your backside. You ought to to write this down. I think this will help you. I think this will help your marriage. Three things about your backside I know. This will help your marriage. This will help your church family. This will help every relationship you have. Three things about your backside. Number one, it's unlovely. It's not your pretty side. Amen? You all with me? Please say amen. amen. I don't want to go into more description than that. All right? Y'all print pre- and the front side. That's the side you're so proud of. You ain't proud of your backside. It's your front side. Amen. But I'm gonna tell you, y'all have a backside, and so do I. James talks about that in spiritual connotations, James 5.16. He says, confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another. That you may be healed. The effectual, fervent man of a righteous, prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know what the inference in James is? Every one of us has faults amen? It's like Brother Prisk used to say, my mentor. He says, it's like old McDonald's farm. Here a flaw, there a flaw. Everywhere a flaw, flaw. We're flawed individuals. You have faults. You have shortcomings, spiritual ones, emotional ones, not just simply physical. Amen? Amen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't. No. I bet somebody here says, Oh, but you know, Brother Dave, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. False, 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 false. Oh, man, I just, I can't, I, can't I, I just, I can't, I can't find a fault in me. <laughs> Whew, then you got the worst one. <laughs> You got the worst flaw. That's the one that tossed Satan out of heaven. That's right. It's the reason you fight, for only by pride cometh contention. You always arguing, you're always fighting. You got a pride problem. That's the worst one. You're blinded by your pride, Obadiah said. Mm-hmm. Huh. First thing I want to say, every soldier knows this. We all have a backside. Number one, it's unlovely. Every one of us here has some unlovely emotional backsides. I haven't gotten to see them, but the one you're married to has. Y'all with me? Quit acting like there's not an elephant in your house. Would you just knock it off? I've had people say, oh, no, 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 but this one couple, they're married. Everything's perfect. They never have an argument. It's like they're already in heaven, although you're not married in heaven. But it's like, oh, it's heaven on earth. And I said, well... You, you, you don't, they don't have any problems. No, no problems. No problems. That is the perfect home. Perfect marriage, perfect family. I said, well, how do you know that? Because I've been in the house. I've been there. Why? Did you know that they knew you were there? Ha, <laughs> huh. there are no perfect marriages. Could I get an amen? Yeah. There are no perfect kids. Could I get an amen? Yeah. There is not a perfect church. There's not a perfect human being other than Jesus Christ ever walked this planet. Amen? Amen. You know, I need to recognize we got backsides. Every one of us has a backside. Number one, it's unlovely. It's just not pretty. Number two, it's unseen. You got to write that one down. It's unseen. By you. Everybody else could tell you what a mess you are. But all you do is see what a mess they are. Everybody's staring at backsides. Amen. Isn't it amazing how we give ourselves a pass so quickly and we condemn someone else very quickly? Let me tell you something. Let me give you an example. This this everybody recognizes this, this is a very easy example. You can be out in the public arena and a young lady goes by and we look and that can happen, but it's a second look that you, that you shouldn't be, but we'll do. And then somebody says, well, what's your problem? Oh, you know, I mean, it's just the way she's dressed. I mean, yeah. And then somebody ogles our wife, and I'm telling you, we're madder than a hornet. You all with me? We're so quick to excuse our sin and so quick to condemn someone else's. Number one, our backside is unlovely. Number two, it's unseen, generally by us, but everybody else sees it. And number three, it's unprotected. It is the most likely angle of attack Satan is going to use in your life. It's going to be the avenue that is most likely to bring destruction when the enemy comes in that way. You with me? It's our weak area. It's our blind side. Now, here's a million-dollar question. We're saved. We're filled by the Holy Spirit of God. We have the Word of God as our compass. How in the world can be people heading to heaven? How can we possibly have blindsides? How can we have deficiencies? That's a million-dollar question, isn't it? But we do. Number one, I wrote it down. There's a number of reasons why we have blindsides. First of all, because there's different stages of growth in our Christianity. Amen. I remember early in my Christianity some of the dumb things I did, but now that I've grown up, it's not as prevalent. Number two, because we have different training, different life experiences, different personalities, different things that have happened. And collectively, they bring flaws into who we are, and we still have that old sin nature that always wants to be satisfied. We all have a backside. It's unlovely. You have a backside. It's unseen. It's your blind area, and it's thirdly, unprotected. Brother Michael, come on up here. I'm going to close with you. I want to illustrate something here that will help you in your marriage. It will help you in the house of God. It will help you with Christian relationships within your church. Brother Michael and I, uh, They've illustrated face-to-face, side-by-side, back-to-back. Here's how it operates, and let me just give an ex- explanation. The devil wants me to find your weak area and exploit it, to lift up myself. The devil wants me, Michael, to find your flaws And then exploit them to lift up myself. But the Lord wants me to find your flaws. And then he wants me to guard them and die to myself. I'm going to say that again. The devil wants you to find the flaws. And they're there. If I were to have testimony time, tell me about the person sitting next to you. What problems they have. Oh, man, we are going to be here for a while. Amen. Tell me about your pastor. Oh, yeah, we're going to be here for a while. Yeah. Tell me about, you know, I mean, it's just that we're flawed people. Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. And so, what the devil wants me is to focus on his flaws and at the expense of his flaws, to exploit them and exalt myself. But the Lord wants me to find his flaws, to cover them, guard them, and die to myself. Mm -hmm. Let me give you a classic example. I'm going to guess, all right? Let me tell you who I am as a personality. You'll never know this. I am a lot of things, but I am an alpha male. I am hard-charging. I'm neat, clean, punctual. Amen? You set your watch to me. I'm just telling you my long suit. I am disciplined. If you want it done, ask me to do it. It will get done. I'm just telling you who I am. Get her done. I may run over you, but it'll get done. <laughs> well, You can ask my wife, one of the things I cannot stand is being late for an appointment. If I'm one minute late, I am, oh, I'm a tough guy to deal with. I can't stand it. I said I'd be there at 1230. I'm going to be there at 1230. Amen? You all with me? Yeah. I'm a neatness freak. People would say, you're OCD. I can't be. If you're going to say that, at least alphabetize it. CDO. (laughs) CDO. See, you're already messed up. That's me. And I want to tell you, there's a certain personality that drives me nuts. It's the slob. Could I get a witness there? Mm -hmm. Some of you, I just watched you go, "Mm -hmm. I married one of them. (laughs) Yeah, it bothers me. And you say, well, who's a slob? The slob's an easy person to identify. When you get into their vehicle, you have to kick the last three months' worth of bags from fast food joints out of the way to find the gas pedal or the brake pedal. (laughs) Amen? Oh, yeah, we just made this come alive. What? Uh, am I hitting? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a hunch. But let me tell you something. <laughs> let me tell you something about the slob, all right? Let me just tell you something. Generally, they're very gracious people. They're sweet. They're patient. You with me? You want to know what my blind side is? That. The Spirit of God has changed me over the years, but left to myself, I'm not a sweet person. I'm very hard-charging. I do not accept failure. I have no time for it. I can be very ungracious and very cutting. Hmm. And you see, what the devil wants me to do is find that area that's my strong area, but it's his weak area, and then think I'm spiritual on something and use it against him and to exalt myself. But you know what the Lord wants? He wants his strong side to guard my weak side. I'm not a patient person. I can be cutting and unkind. I need sweetness and long-suffering. And then he needs my strong side to guard his weak side and to challenge and grow him. And together, we grow, live, bring glory to God, and complete each other as fellow soldiers. Amen? Amen? Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, brother Michael. You know what happens in a marriage? You're Twitter-pated, don't see a thing until you say, I do. (laughs) Then all of a sudden, you wake up and you say, what in the world (laughs) did I get? I didn't know you were a slob because his mother picked up for him he you got him. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Y'all with me? And at that moment, you may have to make a decision. One of them is, will you keep your vows. Mm-hmm. You promise to stay with the unit. Mm-hmm. You promise to never bail on the relationship. You did so voluntarily. Mm-hmm. They even say that in the wedding vows you weren't forced to take these vows. Or you can choose with your strengths to train and help that person, to cover for them, to build them, and be a completer, not a competer. You see, something I know is when you find the flaw that all of us have, What you do at that point says more about you than it says about them. Fellow soldiers take the hits and die for the one they love rather than destroy the one they're in the foxhole with. Amen? Yeah, it's a big deal. You see, when you find that flaw in your preacher, what you do with that at that point says more about you than it does him. When you find that flaw in a fellow brother or sister, what you do at that moment when you find that blindside says a whole bunch more about you than it does about them. For we all came into the battle knowing one thing true. We're all flawed people. It's not news if you found somebody that had an issue. We all do. The news break would be you operated as a soldier, not a politician. Amen? Who's our example? Go to John. We'll close with him. Look at what's said in John. John chapter 15. None other than Jesus Christ, the greatest soldier that ever lived. He knew everything about you. He knew every flaw. He knew every curse word you would say, every filthy thing you would do, every filthy thing you would see. He knew everything about you, and then he chose to do something amazing. He chose to die for you. Look at what's said in John 15, as we close this thought. In John 15, verse number 12, Jesus Christ said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater love hath no man than this. What? That a man lay down his life for his friends. Can you hear the cry in Romans, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, flawed individuals, dirty, rotten, wicked, filthy sinners, God commends his love toward us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. When he knew everything about you, he died for you. How dare we, just knowing a little bit about somebody else, be unwilling to die for them? When the one who knew everything about us died for us. Amen? What a humbling thought tonight. He took the bullet. He took the grenade. He took the blast of sin in your place. You know, I thought as that vase was given out, I thought, you know what? I'm just looking at this, how beautiful this is, valuable. You know what's interesting As I watched that handed over and then handed over again. You know what was interesting? Neither of you assembled this. Somebody else put this together. Frankly, I don't think you could do this. I couldn't do this. Steve, you couldn't do this. So this, this piece of work was, was done in such a way you could have never done it. And it was done in such a way it became very valuable. It's in many ways a one and only, one of a kind. Amen? I thought of what Jesus Christ did. when He paid for sin. He became the perfect sacrifice, the one and only. He paid for it. He produced it, everything. And then he offers salvation as a finished work and says, all you have to do is receive it. I paid for it. You could never produce this, but if you'll receive it, it's yours. That's amazing, isn't it? Man, it cost him his life to to offer that gift to us. Only a fool would say no, but they say no. Amen? And so tonight, as we close, you stop, and you think about it. Fellow brothers and sisters, we're face-to-face. We enjoy social communication, fellowship. But then we, we taste even a greater sweetness as we go side by side and become fellow laborers, serving the kingdom and our king. What a joy that brings. You've never tasted joy in your Christianity till you become a servant, just like Jesus Christ did. And then thirdly, you learn to go back to back. You die to self and self-exaltation and self-promotion, and you find great joy through charity covering a multitude of sins. Standing in the gap and assisting somebody and helping them grow instead of just stomping them down so you can look bigger. Amen? You die to self for the sake of someone else. Fellow brothers, fellow laborers, fellow soldiers, what a privilege. And people say to me all the time, oh, preacher, phew, I sure could use some soldiers in my life. You think that thought? You ever think, as I'm going through this, I wonder who a soldier who's the soldier to me? Wonder who's got me covered. That's how we think. You can't think that way. You have no control over that. You can only control who you cover. Amen? So the question isn't tonight, who's got you covered? Jesus Christ is the eternal answer. The real question is, who are you covering? That's the only one you can control. You can't control what others will do to you or for you. You can only control what you do to and for others. Amen? Let's stand, commit these thoughts.